Commissioner, thank you for doing this. I'm I'm really excited to uh, have you on the podcast this morning when, when you agreed to it. I was hoping that you would be on board with talking to us because I think you're doing some really fun things, doing some really important things in, in your position as police commissioner with York City. I know you're fairly new in that role, so a good opportunity for me to meet you and get to know you, but then also to kind of put you out there on the, the platform that we have. So thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. Uh, so Commissioner, can you um, give us a, a brief intro for people who, who may not know you, although I think quite a few people probably do at this point. What's, what's your brief bio? Okay, um, and, and it's funny you say brief because that's, that's always the knock on me. I tend to get <laughs> behind the pulpit and I get a little wordy. So, uh, um, I'm, I, like you said, my name is Michael Muldrow. I am a local guy. I was born and raised right here and educated right here in York. Um, I am from a, a very local family that happens to be a family of public servants, uh, would be the easiest way to say it. Um, I have nurses, career, uh, career military. My, my, my aunt was the first, uh, black female nurse in the cardiac unit, in the cardio unit at York Hospital. My brother was one of the first uh, uh, black men to come out of York High to actually go to the Naval Academy. He actually recently retired as Commander Thomas Muldrow. My mom was, uh, my, my people know, most people know that my dad, that I'm sec uh, a second generation law enforcement uh, person because my dad was actually on here and served here at the York City Police Department. But not a lot of people know that my mom was actually the person that got my dad, helped get my dad the job. Oh, my really? Mom, yeah, my mom had actually been the mayor's secretary for, uh, for years. She actually served uh, under three mayors. Um, it's funny, I'm, I'm sitting here right now in my office and as you see all the beautiful wood and stuff around me, I'm sitting here in my office, but oddly enough, it's kind of like coming full circle because this had been the mayor's office when this was City Hall. And I spent a lot of time here as a kid. Uh, I actually remember winters walking down here. And I'm gonna show my age with this, but I actually remember winters walking down here uh, with my brother to come see my mom because we lived right out west on Locust Street um, and walking down here to come see my mom. and. I remember one particularly bad winter when we were out on Christmas break from school and we decided to try it anyway. And when I got here, I was little, little. And when I got here, I was so, so cold. And um, we were actually waiting for my mom because she was busy. And I remember this, uh, this really sweet white lady picking me up, bringing me into this office, sitting me on her desk, taking my snow boots off and rubbing my feet. Oh. And that was actually Mayor Marshall. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, I, I guess my thing is, I am a, I am a diehard York person. I am a York advocate. I am a cheerleader of York and our neighborhoods and everything about this community because it's this community made me. I grew up here, uh, played football here. Uh, you know, I mean, first girlfriend here, went to proms, homecomings, did the downtown Halloween window painting. Uh, you know, I, I am a York person. I bled and cried and laughed on every corner, every neighborhood, mm -hmm. every block here. Uh, after that, after I graduated, I went on to, I actually went on to barber school 
And there's a lot of people that know me from that lifetime as I uh, actually served as a barber in Leon's and that was a, a classic black barber shop here. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, I actually served it. I was in Leon's for uh, almost 10 years. Um, most of my young adulthood was actually spent there as a barber, learning and engaging the community and really falling in love with the, the people that I didn't already know. Uh, from that, like many other people, uh, I actually got married and then started having kids. And that actually kind of prompted a vocational change. Uh, not having health insurance and stuff was kind of a, a, a eye opener, I know, you know, something that was uh, awakening to me yeah. that led me to uh, need to get a little bit more serious in my career path. Um, that ended up being a very interesting career path. Oddly enough, I, I found out at a very young age that I wanted to work with young people because one of my first job coming out of the barbershop uh, was actually with the Children's Home of York. And although I was young, I was like about 21, uh, I actually uh, worked at the Children's Home of York and I, I was, I had the George Street program with teenage boys uh, right up there in North York Borough on the top of the hill. And um, they were problematic, you know, individuals. They, you know, they uh, actually came from high risk situations and circumstances, but I loved it. Mm -hmm. I loved it. And I, uh, from there, I actually went to the prison. I got a job at the York County Prison serving under Warden Hogan, uh, who took a chance on me. And at the York County Prison, which was, I look at it as another lifetime, because I started meeting a, a whole different host of people and characters working out at the prison. Uh, the thing that, although that was not my thing, my biggest takeaway from working with a good group of individuals at the prison um, and, and actually being raised by the people we were serving out there, if, you, if, I, if I look back and think about it, I really learned how to, in those first two career paths or first two jobs, I learned how to talk to people because that's the unique thing about corrections. Um, you're doing it with no weapons, no gear, um, no fallback. So you are truly um, utilizing your communication skills to get, to get the job done, to get things done. And um, that I learned so much out there. From the prison, I, I started my my pat my first stint in the York City School District. Uh, my uh, my aunt, Dr. Harris, uh, was able to uh, wrestle some people down into the thought of taking a chance on a young man who didn't have a lot of experience and. Uh, seem you know didn't seem like he would have been the the normal traditional choice mm -hmm. but uh, she helped open that door for me to get me into the school district and from there i just started running i wanted to try and do everything and i had an opportunity to work with attendance I had an opportunity to work with uh, uh at-risk youth serve as a teacher's aide and i i enjoyed it i remember i was so young and they actually hired me and, and gave me a job at the high school. And I was so young that I was uh, probably about four years removed from most uh, from a lot of the kids that were there. Oh, wow. Yes, yeah, so I, I remember having a having this mindset that I that I really wanted to to focus on um, being somebody they could look up to or, or try to be a mentor. So I remember I, I grew my facial hair out. Uh, I bought a uh, I, I, I had my family loan me some money and I bought a bunch of slacks and 
dress shoes and button down shirts and stuff because I wanted to at the very least have my look distinguish me between the young people that I was working with. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I absolutely learned um, in that role and in that job the first time with the school district, I, I fell in love. Uh, that's when I fell in, truly fell in love with the thought of public service, with, the, with working with teens, with working with an at-risk population um, and, and, and trying to serve the community. And because and, that's when I first really was exposed to some of the lack and some of the need that existed here in York beyond what I knew from my own household, which was, you know, I, I was blessed and lucky enough to have a two-parent, um, 2.5-person household with the ocean spray in the refrigerator and a dog and two cars. But that I, I learned working at, at York High the first time through that that wasn't the existence for everybody yeah. here in York. Um, it may have been my social circle uh, with, with kids that I grew up with in my neighborhood because they were all like Caterpillar kids and stuff. So mm-hmm. it wasn't the existence that everybody uh, had and not everybody was as fortunate as I was. And that was impactful to me working at York High. And I, I learned that I am a natural empath because I couldn't stop myself from caring. And everybody that was around me at the time that worked in the school district, and this was like early 2000s, um, late 90s, everybody was like that. It was a very engaging, um, heart first, uh, uh, selflessness uh, type of an environment from, with respect to the staff. And I, I, I value everything that I learned from them, but I learned so much about me. And um, it was then when I first started seeing testing announcements and stuff pop up that the York City Police Department was hiring. And uh, that's when I first started to consider um, wanting to become, follow my dad's footsteps and becoming a police officer. Uh, now, that path, and I, I, I'm a transparent person, I don't really hide any of the things that made me, that helped me succeed or, or uh, prompted me to succeed through failure. So I, I will say, and I'm, and I'm humble about it, the first time I tested for York City Police Department, I absolutely bombed. And <laughs> And I did not get hired. So uh, the thing that I learned in failure from that first time, I found out a lot about myself. I found out that uh, I'm not a person that's going to sit down and lick my wounds for a long time and then start trying to find somebody to blame. Um, I found that uh, I had the ability to shake it off and reload. And the first thing I did was started to evaluate myself to try to see what it was about me that didn't that that had other candidates be selected before me, so I, I started sharpening up. You know, I, I uh, got a tutor, a math tutor, so that my that would be right. I started running, uh, started working out more, trying to get myself prepared. And it's funny enough, and I always tell people that piece of the story because working at York High with the teenagers, with, with, with all the teenagers that were there, and, and all these kids are like 30 now, like they're all like 30, 35, but working up there at that time when I was trying to make my rebound and I was really trying to, to go for the, the test and go for that goal the second time, um, for me ended up being one of the best things that I think God could have ever done for me mm-hmm. because they 
absolutely got behind me and championed the cause. Now, mind you, this is a bunch of inner city teams and man, they were rooting for me like I was Rocky. You know, they would, are, hey, Mr. Maldro, are you going to work out this afternoon? You know, the wrestling team, we're going to be down here in the pool running the stairs and stuff. You want to come on in? You want to lift with the football team? Like, they, uh, that would be out running and jogging. And the guys, the girls, the young people, everybody would just kind of be cheering and, and saying, I've seen you, Mr. Maldro, or I'd stick around school and, and run steps after school. And they, uh, everybody just kind of rooted me on. And I'm proud to say that uh, I, I did very well my second time around. And um, I was actually picked up and hired by the York City Police Department. And it was a hard transition to let go of the school district and leave my kids. But I knew that I would see them again in another capacity and that God was giving me a platform to serve in a bigger way. Yeah. Um, so I, I took that step in 2000. Uh, despite what my dad told me, you know, mind you, I, I, I will share this. Um, and this is a, a piece of the story that I've never really told people. My, okay. dad, he, my dad tried to talk me out of it. Oh, really? He actually tried to talk me out of it. He told me that, and, and I remember him telling me that, like, he didn't want me to do it or he didn't think I was prepared for it. And I remember being, if anything, all it did was motivate me more because I thought he was saying that I wasn't, I wasn't capable. Mm. Um, but then after I, I got, I, I passed the test and got picked up and I was already hired, I went back to him and asked him, like, what, what was up with that? What did he mean? And um, he still wouldn't tell me. It wasn't until later when I had been on the job for a couple of years, because we actually had an opportunity to serve together for about four years. Um, it wasn't until about year two that he actually explained to me what, ha what he meant. And I remember that because I remember coming in from a tough shift, um, from a lot, from a, a tough shift, a tough time on the job because I absolutely love it, always did, but it's a job that wears on you. You see people um, at their good, you have a chance to help at a good times and you have a chance to help people, but you also tend to see people at their worst and at their lowest. And um, I, I I came in after a particularly tough time and I remember like wanting to kind of decompress and talk to my dad in passing because we worked two different shifts and uh, I was kind of like complaining to him and, and telling him how I was feeling and just trying to decompress and he told me he said now I'll tell you what I'll tell you what I wanted to tell you years ago mm -hmm. um, and he went on to tell me that he didn't want me to get the job because he never wanted me to see York at nighttime. He never wanted me to see York in a way any other uh, other than the way I had seen it in the rose colored glasses that I, I've got from my mom. Because um, my mom is like me. She's a naturally optimistic person, very empathetic. And he was afraid of what seeing York, the downside or the bad side or, or York at its worst. He was afraid to, to see what that was going to do to my heart. Mm. Um, and I, I got it after the fact and I get why he never explained it until then because I never would have understood. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until I started responding to domestic violence calls and rape calls and child abuse calls and seeing people with drug use that I had grown up with and knew and cared about and seeing people uh, that uh, loved ones, you know, that we were, that had the arrest for different things uh, over the years. It, I got it. 
you know, I, I, and I do understand why he, that he, he never tried to explain it to me until I, I had an opportunity to see it. Um, and thankfully, um, it, 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 it did weigh on me, but it didn't break me. And despite some of the challenges that it presented over the years and, and some of the internal strife and stuff that it caused over the years, I'm thankful for the time I had with my dad and some of the old heads that were here in the department because they always uh, taught us to try to let some things go. And that the most important thing was trying to remain in touch and in tune with your humanity so that despite any of the darkness, you could always find your way back. So I'm thankful to those lessons. I'm thankful to God for sticking with me um, and helping me through some of that and helping me find a, a, an appropriate balance to be able to balance being that same um, optimistic, hopeful, empathetic uh, kid, Linda's baby, at, with the same, um, at the same time trying to remain uh, stern and stalwart in my heart a little bit more like my dad did when he was on the job so that I can bear some of the things that are um, not so palatable about the role. Wow. What, what a journey. So it, yeah, and that um, I wasn't, and, and I'll, this is really interesting enough, and I will share it with you. That's kind of phase one um, uh, of what, what happened in my story. It was definitely a very unique story. But uh, uh, when I say that it was a journey learning and getting back, part of that journey was the fact that I did break down when I was here the first time and felt like I couldn't do it. I had a, a series of, I had a very rough 2006 um, with a series of incidents and that, that occurred and situations that occurred. I walked in on a home invasion with, uh, uh, on Queen Street with a, a room, walked in on a room full of people bound and gagged on a living room floor. And the, the, uh, the perpetrator still in the, in the house um, seen him, chased him, and he ended up shooting at me and, and uh, another uh, one of my partners in the backyard. Um, and had that occur at the beginning of the year off of like a loud noise call that we responded to. Wow. Then um, um, I had an officer-involved shooting on Route 30 during a drug bust, uh, which all kind of, and then um, I was in a tussle wrestling around fighting with a guy um, after a domestic call and uh, found out later on um, when we were rolling into Christmas, I got that phone call that was that that told me like, "Hey, you're uh, you're gonna have to be off work. You're gonna have to get tested." Uh, he was active TB, and so be careful around your family and start getting ready to get tested all mm -hmm. over Christmas. Uh, and as if that wasn't enough, then I broke my hand uh, later later on that year, and then it all it all summed up. It all kind of came to a crescendo when. Uh, um, I got a phone call from my bosses here at the police department and because I had actually been assigned to a street crime unit and because of some of the work that I was doing and we were doing at the time, um, going after a, uh, uh, a gang from outside the city, um, from another state that was working through here, um, they decided to put a hit out on me and I actually had to go off the job for a little bit while the police department investigated and looked to, uh, wow. to take them down. And it was, um, interestingly enough, I, I never hide that piece of my story because while they were from like New York or whatever, 
um, it came to the attention of law enforcement because they had walked into a local bar uh, and apparently laid $60,000 down on a pool table um, asking for somebody to, to, to take me out. And despite the job, despite the, the, the work that I was doing at the time, despite some of the things that I had been through or all the hundreds of people that I had arrested, um, when we got the phone call and the, the state police were explaining what had occurred, they said that nobody, uh, nobody in the bar, like everybody turned them down, like nobody locally would take them up on this hit okay. that they were trying to put out on me. Um, so I, like I said, I never hide that piece of the story because that's one thing that I absolutely never forgot. And if one thing could have endeared me even more to York or make me feel like I owed my hometown more than I already thought I owed them, and I'm trying not to get emotional at all, but if one thing uh, really made me know that uh, I care, that York cared about me as much as I care about it, it was that moment. Because uh, it, it could have been and would have been and very easily could have been very easy that somebody could have taken them up on that offer and walked away from their $60,000 uh, richer um, just to, hey, I mean, I was living on Beaver Street. I was living right here in town um, when I was working down there. And everybody knew where I lived at. Everybody knew where I would be at. I ran, the I jogged, you know, openly here in New York all the time. And um nobody decided to do it. I mean, God was looking out for me, but my, my town definitely had my back and I never forgot that. So there was a lot of emotional wear and tear on me and my family going through that experience. And I finally decided to tap out and um, resign here at the York City Police Department. And I took a, a job and went federal with uh, the federal police up in New Cumberland. Uh, from there, uh, oddly enough, and this is really interesting, this is how, and I, you'll hear me say God a lot because I, I don't hide the fact that I am a faith-filled person. Um, although I was up there and I was in a good situation working for a federal department, I still yearn to be back here in York. Mm -hmm. And it was, there's just something that always drew me back here. So like I said, I was in a good situation, life was fine. And then I had an opportunity to go to West York Borough to, uh, to serve and work part-time. And I, was, I wanted to do that on the side just to kind of keep my, my feet wet and keep my certification active. And uh, so I was out there, but I, I, I had the opportunity to work under Chief Albright. And I really credit him for helping me heal. I really mm -hmm. credit him for uh, cleaning me up uh, emotionally and helping me uh, get reset and get back to uh, where I needed to be. Uh, just his coaching, his time that he put into me, the love that he had for me, that he showed me as a, as a supervisor and as a mentor, as a boss, um, just meant so much. Uh, from there, uh, I actually had, a, from there I, I started working at the Sheriff's Department, kind of came a little closer to home. And then I received a call out of the blue that the York City School District was starting a safety department and they wanted me to work there. They wanted me to, to join it, to be one of the people to initially, to be on the first wave of people that was working there. So I definitely took that as a sign because I love the school district and I thought this is my opportunity to come back to my hometown and, and, and um, rekindle that old flame of working with kids. So I jumped on that lightning quick. 
and after about a year, I had an opportunity to actually take over as the director of the program. And from there, uh, I just started running and the rest was kind of history. Um, in that role under Dr. Holmes, who was my boss then, the superintendent, who I, I, will, I will say publicly, um, allowed me to be me and just gave me a blank sheet of paper to be creative and dream and try stuff. And uh, I did, man, I, and when I say I did, I did. And I, I tried stuff, I attempted programs, initiatives. Man, we had a boxing club. They, they actually allowed me to start a boxing club at York High in the afternoon and box with kids and have them box each other and work out until we fell down and, and cried and, and laid on the floor sweating, laughing about it. Um, they let me do a little bit of everything. And one of those things that they allowed me to do was I told them I had a dream and I felt like I was, I felt like I could bring the, turn the department into an internal police department of sworn officers. And although it was a, a big, hairy, audacious goal that uh, seemed like it shouldn't have been able to, to get pulled off, somehow we did it. And uh, jumping through all the hoops with the state, uh, the feds, everybody else got some grant money and everything else to pull it off, actually got community buy-in to achieve it. We were able to actually... Uh, turn the whole department into a school resource officer, department of sworn officers, and uh, developed one of the state's uh, first school police programs. And it exploded from there. We started out, I had five officers. Um, by the time I left, we had 16 mm -hmm. uh, and 30 civilian staff that worked for us. Um, now in that role, with even with the opportunity to build things, create things, uh, start initiatives and everything else, the thing that ended up being the most exciting part or the thing that I really look back on and I'm most appreciative about the time at the school district was the opportunity to try to, to mimic and, and um, be able to demonstrate some of the leadership things that I had learned from other people over the years who had raised me, people like, uh, like Keith Albright, that was that chief from West York that poured so much into me or Dwayne Raber, uh, who had been with me in the school district and um, everybody else that had uh, here, Kelly and um, Hose and Mike Hill, everybody that I had learned from over the years as a supervisor. And I had the opportunity to actually step into a leadership role and coach and mentor and work with uh, younger officers, younger people to try to inspire them to try to keep them from making some of the same mistakes that I had made to try to teach them and save them from some of the same pitfalls and things that I had faced kind of like kind of like my dad tried to do to me when uh, in the beginning when he told me to to not take the job or at the very least be very careful so um, I'm excited and I'm proud of the fact that I was able to um, in that role provide a lot of opportunities for young people from this community to break into law enforcement, mm -hmm. which at times can be a very uh, overly tight-knit community. Uh, and today, I, I was when I walked away, I, I definitely feel like I left the place better than I found it. And there uh, probably couldn't, isn't a, a more diverse department 
um, to be found anywhere than the department that I left behind. Wow. And now I'm here. And now you're here. <laughs> so officially, how long have you been in the commissioner role now? Um, like two, two going on three months. Yeah. Two months. What was it like for you to step into that role, to come back to the city police department? For me, it was, uh, and, I, and obviously you can tell I'm, a, I'm an overly romantic person by nature, um, but for me, it was uh, almost biblical, the, the thought of, because I, I, I regretted leaving once I, once Chief Albright cleaned me up, uh, it was one of the things I looked back on my life and I regretted leaving the first time, but I also understand that God had, uh, he obviously had a, a plan for me and things that he needed me to do, experience and places he needed me to go and things he wanted me to try. Um, but I definitely see it as it was him who decided it was my time to come back because I didn't seek it out. Um, I didn't expect it. I didn't expect when Mayor Helford called me and made the offer, it almost didn't even seem real. Um, and I feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be in this time in my life. And he has something, uh, God has something that here that he wants me to accomplish. So I am just living, living it every day. I'm decided just to ride this thing as hard as I can till the wheels fall off. And I'm just going to continue to try things and do things until they run me out of here. What a year to step into this role. Yep. I mean, you're coming in with a, a pandemic with COVID-19. You're coming in with racial tensions um, across the nation that are that are being felt, but but also, you know, hard conversations that are happening here in York. You're coming in after um, a, another uh, black commissioner, which York was very excited about that opportunity. I think there was some disappointment that whatever that fallout was, but but then for you to step into that role and, and kind of take take that up and carry that, you know, being being the commissioner of a police department, challenging all on its own, but to step into that role in 2020, uh, you kind of had a little extra weight in your backpack that one you you've talked about how you try new things you know you like to experiment you like to see what sticks what are you doing now in your role to kind of see try new things and see what sticks what are what are those things um well i mean just the first to speak to what you said about 2020 and the time yeah. the, the 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 moment that i stepped into Absolutely, uh, it was a lot. Uh, the guys like to say down here, you hear them say it a lot, one of the things that flies around the station is that they will refer to things as being a heavy lift uh, or, or it's not a heavy lift, that kind of thing. And um, I, I definitely understand that there was a lot of challenges and at face value, it looks like the role would be a very heavy lift. But um, despite all the things that you named, to me, I just see them all as opportunities. That's, I mean, I guess maybe it's just my personality type. I just see more as opportunities. I see um, the, the the situation that the, the the climate that occurred post George Floyd, um, the the situation with I mean, trying to navigate through COVID, all of the stuff that uh, the tensions, everything that's occurring. 
I just see them as opportunities and I just try to, on a day-to-day -day basis, control the things that, I focus on controlling the things I can control and or things that I have ability to influence. And what I have ability to influence is the morale and how my guys here, my officers feel about coming to work. Um, and what I have a, an opportunity to influence is uh, giving the community at least uh, one person that they feel like it is connected to them and is there for them and uh, dedicated to trying to be a bridge builder. And the neat part is in those, with those two functions, it allows me to um, work on being that bridge to bring the department and the community closer together. Because I truly believe if I can inspire, if I can motivate, if I can encourage the officers and support them enough, they will be uh, in a better place, be more supportive, uh, and be more committed to the service that they give to the community uh, on the street. And in turn, if I in any way can help people feel a little bit better in the community about this department, it ends up being a win for everybody, a win for them, uh, and it's a win for the officers because ultimately it, uh, it will make the exchange and the engagement that they have uh, go a whole lot smoother. So um, I, I get that those challenges definitely um, might have been something that deterred somebody, but for me, I truly see them as opportunities and my chance to uh, get in and not have to create conversations because the stuff's already occurring all around us. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I'm just seeing them as opportunity. Yeah. Um, now, some of the things that are uh, occurring because I have a whole, and it's funny, I grabbed my notepad because I was like, well, something may come up that I need to follow up on. So I want to make sure I can take notes if she needs me to. But uh, yeah, when I say I'm trying everything, I, um, I'm truly just trying everything, everything that when you sit down, if you have an opportunity to step into a dream job or somebody tells you that they're looking at hiring you for something that would have been a truly a dream job in your heart, um, I believe that it was that it's only right that and I think anybody would sit down and truly just start to dream and assess and think about uh, everything that they would like to try in that role. And, and that's my approach to um, to uh, careers is I, I, I believe in five, a five-year plan. I believe in um, having a list, a bullet point list of things that you want to try to pull off, goals that you want to accomplish um, and everything else. The only difference about me is I'm not particularly a patient person. So there's no clock for, the, for that list. I, I'm literally just moving from initiative to initiative to initiative, and I've decided not to give myself any particular pace because you just never know in life. You never know um, whether you're going to step out and something could happen to you. Um, you never know if the climate could change or if the leadership could change, um, and I may not even be in this role later on, so I've just decided to just do it really hard um, while I'm here. Uh, with that being said, in the little bit of time that I've been here, you've already seen things uh, like our first engagement, um, uh, opportunity community engagement initiative that we just did, which was our report card day celebration, which uh, uh, for anybody watching that knows anything about barbershops, it was absolutely stolen. Uh, it was something we used to do in the barbershop all the time. 
uh, one of, as a positive behavior support in the barbershop, what we used to do was we encouraged the kids to bring in their report cards. And if they got good grades, we would give them like a little 25 cent for a C, 50 cents for a B, a dollar for an A, so on and so forth, um, just to let them know that somebody was rooting for them and supporting them and encouraging them even beyond athletic endeavors. Mm -hmm. So I, what I wanted to do was try to mimic that and have the world's biggest report card day celebration sponsored by this department. So that's what we did. I, uh, I, I sought partners out and thankfully I was able to uh, uh, solicit help and nobody turned me away. Um, and I got money from the district attorney's office, uh, Dave Sunday, who's awesome, uh, got money internally from Chaz Green with, uh, and Diaz Woodard with uh, mm -hmm. our engagement people here in the New York City Parks and Recs and Public Works. But uh, I'm proudly, uh, I was also able to get a couple thousand dollars from, and, and they're often vilified by people. Everybody tends to, to, to think negatively about the organization because I think at times they get sucked in by political entities, political uh, speakers will suck them in and make them out to be something that they're not. But uh, I went to the FOP and they gave me thousands of dollars to be able to uh, encourage youth to keep pushing on even through COVID with their academic endeavors. So we were able to raise $10,000, enough to do $10 gift cards for about a thousand kids. And um, uh, along with that, I bought a bunch of greeting cards yeah. um, because what I wanted to do was I also thought it was going to be a nice touch since we uh, uh, to actually have the officers uh, do handwritten greeting cards, just kind of encouraging kids to keep it up despite all the challenges that were occurring right now in 2020. And when other departments and other officers and other uh, entities heard that we were doing that, I got request after request of, of, of institutions that wanted to participate and write message, encouraging messages to kids to go along with the gift card. Um, I've handwritten cards from the, the, the attorneys in the DA's office, probation, the school district, um, our officers, the fire department, they took it on heavy. Uh, they did hundreds of cards um, with little messages and stuff and everything else for the kids. And then we, we went out. Um, one Saturday afternoon, and we went out to Memorial Stadium, and we invited all the families to drive, made a drive-through event, and invited all the families to drive through so that we could hoot and holler and celebrate the kids and, and give them a little gift just to tell them that somebody cared. Um, so I was really excited about that. Obviously, the walking initiative was near and dear to me because that was always the kind of cop I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be the, the neighborhood officer that people knew because, because that's what I grew up with and uh, with a, a real focus on community policing. So um, I, as soon as I came on the job, I told everybody I was gonna do it. And as soon as I came on the job, even in a role where I'm supposed to be in leadership, I decided to don the blue uniform and hit the street and get out there and walk and talk to people and go to um, problematic neighborhoods that have experienced issues wherever there was a shooting. That's the neighborhood I went to that night. And I went out walking around and, um, I didn't expect it, but that uh, just in started inspiring people. And I had um, person after person um, um, kind of corresponding with me and sending me messages asking, could they participate? I had the officers on the street when they saw me out 
uh, or knew that I was out walking in the neighborhood, they would come and find me, park their car, get out and want to come walk with me. Um, at this point, probation, pastors, the DA's office, heck, the warden called me uh, at the end of last week and asked, could he start coming out with us? Mm -hmm. um, co codes, the codes department, city codes department, the fire departments starting to come out. Everybody just wants to get out and do the foot patrols with us. And uh, I, uh, like I said, pastors and everybody else, and I never expected it to blow up like that. Um, but it's been awesome. And on the other end, it's been really, uh, even more importantly, it's been really, really well received from the neighborhoods that we hit. Um, I tell a story, I told a story the other day about when I was out Parkway, it was right after one uh, the recent shooting that occurred out there. And I went out there that night. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, the next day. And uh, it was an evening, but I went out there uh, the next evening and I was posted up in the same area where the shooting had occurred. And a young lady was coming back from the corner store and she stopped. And I, I didn't know if she was just picking her or if she was, you know, just kind of making jest at my expense. But she said, you know, she kind of rolled up on me and said, yeah, like, it's, it's kind of cool that you're out here. Like, you know, we don't ever get officers out here walking around or standing around on this corner. And I was like, yes, ma'am, I'm going to be out here doing it a lot. And she went in her house and it was real neat because five minutes later, she actually came back out with a lawn chair and a book and a little light in her hand. And she sat on her, on her porch and, and I seen her starting to read. So I went back over to follow up with her and she was like, yeah, I, I never really had an opportunity to come out and join my porch because I've always just kind of been a little afraid wow. over here. Uh, because of incidents and stuff that occur. And she said, I figure since you're out here, I'm going to take advantage of it. And she sat there and she was reading her little book the whole time that I was out there posted around, posted on that corner and walking around. And it's really been like that. It's, it's, it, it's really been like that, regardless of the neighborhood that I've hit or the neighborhoods that we're hitting. And it's funny because everybody always asks, the first thing everybody always asks is, did something happen? Um, did I miss something? Were they shooting again or, or did something bad happen? And I, I continue to respond and tell everybody, no, no, I'm just, I'm out here because I'm trying to keep bad stuff from happening. And uh, it's been surprising how well received that it's been from everybody. Um, the community, not only the community, but the officers too. Uh, they really feel like, uh, which was uh, unintended, uh, nice consequence that occurred occurred, they really feel like there's somebody in leadership that's supporting them, that's taking time to be out there with them, that's not just sending orders down via email telling them what they need to do, that's out there modeling it themselves. And um, it's, it's definitely catching on inside and outside of the station. Um, some of the other things that prayerfully, knock on wood, you'll see coming, I've been meeting with community stakeholders and I am really committed to bringing on crisis counselors mm -hmm. for our department. Uh, and because to me, I, I think that's, it, it's only right. We, we send officers and, uh, on these calls and expect officers and the community expects officers to respond to calls with people suffering from mental illness uh, and emotional distress. Uh, but we send officers to the calls and then we don't like the outcomes that we see, like what we saw down in Philadelphia with the officers that ended, that shot that young man with the with the knife. We don't like to see the 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 outcomes that that happen after sending officers. But we're also at the same time not acknowledging that officers aren't equipped to handle and respond to those calls to the degree that we need them to. 
Uh, and what I mean by that is regardless of how much we want it to be the, the case and regardless of what I'd want to sit here as a, a law enforcement leader and tell you that I can do to prepare these officers uh, or what they learn at the academy, there is absolutely no way in 15, 16 weeks, we can make it 20 weeks of training that you're going to get these young men and women prepared to respond to calls and help people that are suffering from mental illness and emotional distress uh, in the same way. There's, there's no way they're gonna be capable of responding and providing a level of care that individuals who go to college for four, six, eight years of training um, could do and, and have uh, training and experiences afterwards that on a day-to-day -day basis that, that make them better with those situations. There's no way our officers would ever be as equipped to handle the situations as those counselors will. Um, it, it, and I heard a neat quote the other day that I really thought stuck in my mind that kind of relates to it. It's, uh, it was something to the effect that if, if all you have is a hammer, you're going to treat everything like a nail. And that's the way I see situations with police with respect to some of these crisis situations. It, there are times you need on emergency calls. There's times that you may need more than a hammer. You may need a screwdriver. You may need a wrench. You need the appropriate tool, just like with medical response. Uh, we don't send police officers on calls that require a medical response and um, leave them to their own devices. We make, we make EMS, EMT, paramedics, we make them available to uh, respond in a system, regardless of the fact that we get first aid and CPR certifications and training. We, uh, they, they understand the world acknowledges that medical professionals, uh, emergency response medical professionals are gonna be better at it and more equipped than we are as police officers. Yeah. So I think the same thing needs to be said and the same conversation needs to be had with respect to mental illness. Um, I may have good intentions as a police officer. I may want to go and help, but I'm not as equipped to uh, help that person as a mental health professional is going to be. So um, as a responsible law enforcement leader, I think it's my duty. It's only right for me to try to give these officers and give this community that tool. And that's what I, what I want to bring here. I want to bring crisis counselors that are available 24 hours for uh, all of our shifts that are able to actually respond to a scene along with our police officers and allow our officers to do their thing, assess the scene, make sure it's safe, make sure that it's appropriate for the counselors to do and social workers to do what they do, uh, but then step aside and let them handle it and be there as a resource if they need it so that they can work, evaluate, do their thing, and provide uh, a warm handoff or that appropriate continuum of care with the hospitals and the crisis centers thereafter. So um, thankfully, I think we're well on our way. Uh, I've identified some partners that I'm really excited about. Uh, Wellspan seems to have a big interest in really wanting to help um, bring that to fruition. So I'm super excited about that, uh, pro that initiative, that, uh, that uh, goal that I have. Another one in kind of in the same vein that you'll be seeing here later in the week, early next week, if you will, is a campaign that I'm starting called Handle with Care. Um, the Handle with Care uh, initiative will actually be a registry where we'll, we will be soliciting um, from the community uh, 
anybody, anybody that has a loved one or a person that they're legally responsible for that they're concerned about that suffers from uh, uh, an illness, mental illness, something that we need to, that they feel the police need to be aware of in advance before responding to calls with them, mm. uh, they will be able to call in, email in, provide information, provide a photo, uh, name, contact person, address uh, mm. of the individual so that we can look out, be on the lookout and, and know that when we respond to calls involving that individual, that we are handling them in the most appropriate way. So I'm really excited about the Handle with Care program. And um, this is actually a first because I didn't launch. That's cool, didn't. yeah. Yeah, we didn't launch, it actually launched later this week. Um, we have a, an email contact and a call-in number and I'm really excited about um, the preventative uh, benefits of a program like that. Um, so extremely excited about that program. Uh, another one, we're, we're working with some of our community stakeholders and partners to uh, bring in another initiative I'm excited about. And, and, what, and what that is, is I spent a lot of time, I, I believe when you go into a new place, the first thing you need to do is sit down, shut up and evaluate what's going on, see what they're doing well, see what they're not doing well, and then start to take action. Because uh, there's going to always be a little bit of both. So one of the things that I really looked at, not only as a law enforcement leader, but as a York person was, uh, I sat down and I thought to myself, why out of the Tri-City area, York, Harrisburg, and Lancaster, why is Lancaster so different than its two cousins? Why, is, why does Lancaster's crime statistics seem so much better why is the environment, I mean, and I understand they have their, their trouble, their strife and their issues too, but for the most part, when you look at violent crime statistics, everybody can acknowledge that Lancaster is not York and Harrisburg. So I really wanted to know what was, what was different. What's, what's the one special thing that they're doing with their recipe over there that we all can't seem to pull off or I can't here in York can't seem to get. And as I evaluated it, the, the, with uh, the police departments, they're almost all three the same size and everything else. The thing that really stood out stood out to me was uh, their their camera network, their community um, security camera network, blanketing the whole entire city. Um, that's actually monitored 24 hours a day by civilian employees who are directly calling into the police and 911, reporting issues from as small as uh, 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 improperly parked vehicles to all the way through to car accidents, fights, and at times individuals selling drugs or pulling guns out of the trunk. And I thought to myself, well, yeah. And I, and I, went, to my, I went to the other department leaders here and I asked them, I said, well, ask them the same thing to see if they had the same thought or epiphany that I had about it, that uh, it only stands to reason that that would be impactful not only for the officers and, and not only for the, uh, the agencies that utilize the service, but also for the, the people that set out to do bad things. If I know somebody's constantly watching and there's a chance that regardless of whether a witness has the willingness to step up and report me, that there's a camera that may catch my, my actions so uh, I, I need to be really, really careful because there's a camera everywhere. There's a camera up this street, down that alley, around that corner that has eyes on me all day long. 
I would be more cautious about the stuff that I try to do or the places I dump trash or the, the, the uh, where I may or may not want to sell drugs or whether I'm going to pull a gun out after during a fight on a street corner. Um, and it just happened to be that I got a phone call from some really awesome people that actually uh, are, are part of the philanthropic community here in York that uh, started to ask me about identified needs. And in that conversation, uh, we actually were able to discuss the camera network and bring in that same uh, kind of thing here to York. And I'm excited to say that we've, it's actually had a lot of traction and it looks like we actually may be able to get this ball across the line. Wow. Yeah, that, that's, that's definitely, uh, it's, it's definitely something that I'm really excited about. And it's definitely uh, something that'll have an instant impact uh, here in the York community that we're really pumped about trying to achieve. Um, one of the other things that we kind of have brewing that's kind of sitting there in the queue that I'm excited about is with respect to the GVI initiative, the GVI program here in New York. Um, and while uh, I think we do an amazing job and they've been doing an amazing job with respect to uh, the GVI model and the portion uh, that uh, falls into the category of enforcement, um, I, I think we've fallen a little short of the component with respect to community buy-in. And so, Commissioner, GVI for people who aren't aware of, of that acronym? Yes, GVI is the, uh, gun, the gun violence initiative uh, aimed at preventing group, a group in gun violence initiative aimed at preventing uh, some of the, the, the shooting and the gun violence that we see riddled throughout a, out the community. It was actually a program um, that was uh, brought here from another area. It's had other names in other areas. I mean, it's been called ceasefire. It's been, it's had a lot of other uh, names and it's been used for years. That was me. <laughs> That's okay. I didn't know if it was a caller. I was going to say, I, I didn't know I was taking callers. I was, I was <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's Not talk. Live. <laughs> So the, we, we, the, when they adopted that program here in York uh, under uh, Kaylee and Bankert, um, like I said, they, they developed through strong partners a really, really strong enforcement um, component to the program that's done an amazing job. Um, it's just the, the, the area where we've been weak was respect with what happened or occurred with respect to um, promoting or soliciting or uh, generating community buy-in for the program and getting the community to really want to step up and take ownership and be witness, be witnesses, be willing to get the same message out. Uh, a message being that this is our neighborhood and we're we're tired of all the shooting and the violence and we're we're not okay with it anymore and we're going to do what we have to do to get it to stop because you can't do that here. Uh, our kids are here, our, our, our mothers are here, our families are here. We don't want that for our neighborhood anymore. And uh, I believe as an institution, and I'll, I'll take it on, we didn't do a good enough job um, finding those voices and those individuals that we needed to tap into to get that community buy-in. So one of the, a lot of what you see occurring uh, with respect to the things that I try or the things that we're doing as a department, like the walks and everything else and some of the positive behavior support initiatives and some of the things that we're doing 
uh, and transparency is to really look to encourage that, uh, to encourage people to take ownership of their neighborhoods and partner with us to say enough is enough. Um, and one of the things that I'm excited about that, uh, that uh, instituting, and we, we actually put in, put in for a grant, so keep your fingers crossed, knock on wood, this, uh, we actually are able to get that grant, um, is uh, a, a program piece in the model, the GVI model called Credible Messengers, where you look to, uh, look to people in the community that can be change agents, that can work with people in the community at, that are at, from the community to actually um, help get witnesses to step up after incidents occur, help get buy-in from the victims so that they're willing to participate in their own seeking of justice through uh, uh, appropriate remedies rather than seeking street justice, uh, help the hospital uh, with respect to getting more cooperation from victims while they're there, um, but not only with them, work with the police to actually get more cooperation, more witnesses to step up, and then even 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 being available to assist the prosecution and the DA's office with supporting cases, supporting the cases after the fact. So um, we're excited about that because I, I think we're putting a unique wrinkle to it. I believe that as a community, and, and you see it from the, the perspective that you're in, we tend to, when it comes to volunteerism, once, once you find people that are willing to volunteer, we as a community go to that same well too many times. And, and we start to ask too much of the same people for free. People that are already giving their time, giving their uh, skills, giving their talents away. And we expect them to continue to give more and more and more and more and more with no, nothing, no support in any way. So what I wanted to do rather than continue just to ask credible messenger people to come in and step up into these roles was um, I wanted to make that a paid position. I wanted to make that a per diem on-call position where, uh, albeit, albeit not a lot, but we make money available to give them a little something to motivate them beyond just the desire to, to serve and help their community. Wow. Um, we, we, so that we can give them a couple dollars to be able to say that your time is valuable when you come in to help. Um, so I'm excited. That's what the grant's for, is to try to make these part-time little $20 an hour positions um, that uh, to make individuals available on call to come in and assist after shootings, to come in and assist at the hospital, to be available during some of these prosecution cases and some of these follow-ups. But in addition to that, also serve as mentors in the community to get the message out that we want to get out. And at times, uh, neighborhood mediators to try to mediate some of these beefs and, and issues that occur before they turn into shootings. So um, and partnering with a local institution to actually do that. We're, we're looking to, if we get the grant, knock on wood, partner with uh, Dr. Hart, who's phenomenal uh, at Lincoln Charter uh, as part of his uh, community wellness um, uh, outreach program and, and building that he's, that he's actually got up and running. So we're looking to partner through them to actually provide uh, money to individuals to come in and serve in that capacity. To actually help the community out even uh, even without handcuffs and a gun. So um, really, really pumped and excited about that program. Hoping we're able to bring that to fruition also. But 
Uh, I'm not going to be labored because I have a laundry list because I am a natural dreamer. So I will pause there. <laughs> I think these are, I mean, these are amazing initiatives. And I think in the short time that you've been in this position, you've just really grabbed it wholeheartedly and, and come up with some amazing things. And I, I'm excited to see what you, what you accomplish. I'm excited to see you out doing, you know, your, your street walks and that sort of thing. And, and, these are such important things that we've, you know, talked about in the the last hour or so. But I I've got to ask you, Commissioner, where you learned how to use emojis? Oh my God! Okay, that you okay, that. use social media in a way I have seen no other York County Police Department. And you might you might not know this about me, but uh, my past career, I was a, a crime beat reporter for the York Daily Record. Wow! And so I have kept an eye on local police departments and police chiefs. I've known quite a few. Um, you just you have this transparency. You um, almost use social media like an influencer um, in the way that I would almost encourage most businesses to use it. But you you're so real, you're so open, you're so vulnerable. I, I think people know so much about what you're doing just because of your use of that. It's, it's fascinating. Well, thank you. Um, I, I, I appreciate that more than you know, <laughs> um, particularly hearing, um, well, one, just because you're uh, the, the role that you're in now, but then also hearing that you were actually uh, the crime beat reporter side, I'm really uh, excited and, and, and thankful for, and I think that is a true compliment. Um, yeah, I, I think that you, you have to be open to um, reaching people where they're at, and you have to be open to trying things, uh, being different, trying things in a different way. You can't continue to do the same things the same way, like the saying goes, like the quote goes, and expect different results. Um, as long as we in in this job field, uh, in, in the in in law enforcement and police work, if we continue to walk around stuffy, with our tight turtleneck on and buttoned up really high and making sure our boots are really shiny and telling people we don't shake hands and being standoffish and aloof uh, with big mustaches uh, and and tight hats on. We're going. Hey, I'm sorry. I'm just going to be. Um, we're going to continue to be seen in the way that we're we've been being seen, which is uh, no longer palatable to the world in 2020. We wonder why. Uh, and, and I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you the difference. In 2000, when I applied to. Uh, to when I competed once, when I got hired, and I'm proud of this, in 2000, when I finally, when I tested and went through the process with York City and I competed for the job, uh, we actually competed and it was just the York City Police Department's test. There were 900 to 1,000 applicants that we competed against for eight jobs. Wow. Now, flash forward to 2020. We at this time, right now, with uh, preparing for opening another test, a test that's actually open for all 15, 16 departments, um, we have about 75 applicants. Wow. 
what happened over the last 20 years that made people feel like police work wasn't a viable option. Um, and then because of how I view things, because of how I was raised, my next question is what didn't we do as a profession to be engaging enough to make people want to come to this career field? What, what didn't we do that obviously other people are doing that obviously um, uh, all the, like you said, social media, uh, businesses that have started up, attorneys' offices, um, the wellspan of the world and the hospitals, heck, even the fire department. What is it that we're not doing that everybody else is doing that continues to drive people towards those career paths instead of ours? And because that's uh, 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 a monumental difference. A thousand people applying for eight jobs and, and one department and 75 people applying to 15 departments with count, a countless number of available jobs. So uh, I've decided that we have to be able to be flexible, at least our department. And I think uh, most of my colleagues with the local chiefs of police are starting to uh, feel the same way. We have to be more flexible. We have to be more flexible and more open to competing and realizing that the, the, the world and the people in it are resources. They're, they're not enemies, they're resources that we're gonna need because regardless of how much we jog, how much you work out, how great your doctor is and how many vitamins you take, we're not gonna be able to do this job forever. Um, the last thing in the world that I, I would ever be, and this was a straight quote from my dad, um, nobody wants to be a 60, 70 year old cop. And from the community standpoint, nobody should want a 60, 70 year old cop coming to your rescue. Yeah. Um, maybe as an educator, as a trainer, as a leader, inspiring other people, but not responding to the calls. Um, I, I need you to chase somebody down after they just robbed my wife. Um, so we have to inspire the next generation. We have to poke at the, the, the community and change their mindsets. We have to get people open to, uh, to this role, to police work. We have to uh, get the community, get the world to stop vilifying police work and, uh, and police officers, not just because we say it's time for you to stop, but because they see us as valuable. They see us as trustworthy again. They see us as something to uh, uphold. Um, they see us as what we all swore to be when we first took the job as public servants, as the people that were going to come here and represent a way of life, the way of life you want to see in your community. That's all the job's supposed to be. It's supposed to be that we are the people that represent the social norms that you all expect. Um, so if the social norms change or if the goals of a community change, so do the way we enforce. Um, but we can't continue to do everything and carry ourselves in the same way because that's just not how the world's working. Um, and we have to be flexible enough to be able to exist beyond some of those changes. And I just think I happen to be a person that's okay with being transparent and okay with being flexible um, and, and okay with saying that I don't know it all, we don't know it all, and the way that we're doing things today may not be the best way to do things tomorrow. Um, and one of those things is I feel like right now the way to connect with people is via social media because that's the platform that people are using. Um, and in that, I do my best, I try my hardest 
to try to be transparent with people, to try to be uh, relatable with people. Now, I, I will tell you, I'm a person who has an art background. Um, so as, a, as an artist, and I originally went to Votech for commercial art, I thought that's yeah. what I wanted to be and do. Um, it was, it's my goal to utilize whatever means that I have available to me to connect people and let them see me or feel me or touch me or experience what I'm experiencing in my heart or with my emotions. And it just happened to be that uh, as I play around with social media and I play around with different platforms and uh, with the technology that's available to us now, when I discovered emojis <laughs> and, the, and the ability to add pictures to my words to try to solicit emotional responses to get people to feel what I was feeling, I fell in love and I, I never quite knew whether people like it or whether people don't or whether they were used to it or not. Um, so like when you said that you thought it was uh, a good thing, um, I recently got a card from a woman that I didn't even know who said that she started following me and following the police department on social media. Uh, and she actually put in the card how much she appreciates um, the passion that I, that she believes I demonstrate, but also the use of the, she called them stickers. She said uh. <laughs> the stickers that I use to, uh, to help illustrate uh, the thoughts that I'm having in the moment. So um, yeah, that's, that's just me trying to reach people. I, I think it's, it's well done. I think you use it very well as a tool. It is partly what sparked me to reach out to you to have this conversation because I noticed it as something different. So uh, keep it up. It's, I think it's a great way to, to connect and communicate with people. And I think you're, you're using it very creatively. Thank you. Yeah. Well, Commissioner, I don't want to take up too much more of your time because I know you've got that bullet list. You've probably got the next uh, initiative you got to jump on. But thank you so much for doing this. I really enjoy talking to you and, and getting to know you. I hope someday we can meet in person and uh, maybe have some uh, continued eye-opening conversations. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. Yes, do good work. Good to meet you. Thank you. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye.